Well, hello, Jesse. Hello, Tessa. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm swell. Swell. Yes. Swell indeed. Very good. <laughs> How was your week? It was good. It's busy. Yeah. yeah. We welcomed a baby into our family. We did. Our s- oldest sister mm-hmm. had their very first bebe. Bebe. She's so. adorable. She's the least alien-looking newborn I've ever seen. <laughs> she, yeah, she's funny, though. She makes some, some funny poop faces. That's for sure. <laughs> she sure does. <laughs> she does. I have the uh, Reddit stories today. Woo. Enlighten me. Well, before I start, just want to remind everyone, uh, guys, whatever pictures we post for the episode, just want to remind you, you can check those out on our Instagram, Spooky Soup Podcast. And also, if you guys have spooky stories, you can definitely send those in to us. We would love to read them on the podcast. Um, you can DM those to us on Instagram, or you can email them to us at SpookySoupPodcast801 at gmail.com. Please send them in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can come up with our own content, but hearing from you guys is just so exciting. We've actually had a bunch of people write into us already. And it's been a ton of fun reading their everyone's stories and and uh, and like we've I befriended someone on Reddit already like we message all the time and stuff so it's it's been fun. That's amazing. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I will dive in. Uh, so I wanted to do something a little different today. Okay. So I do have one scary story. It's a little bit long. Okay. But before I get to that story, I wanted to share with you um, what I found on Reddit, which is. What is a disturbing fact most people are unaware of? Oh, I love these. Like an Ask Reddit thing? Yes. Cool. Drowning is quiet, and most kids drown right in front of the person that's supposed to be watching them. Fact. (laughs) Adult teeth in toddlers are right under their eyes. Okay, I have seen that. Have you seen a child's skull? Yes. It's not okay. <laughs> it's scary. It's pretty weird looking. Edgar Allan Poe wrote a novel in 1838 in which four shipwreck survivors at the point of starvation choose to resort to cannibalism. So they kill the young cabin boy, Richard Parker, and eat him. In 1884, a ship called the Mignonet sank. Four crew members survived at the point of starvation, they killed and ate the youngest of them, named Richard Parker. Are you kidding me? <laughs> what? Crazy. These are all true, by the way. Uh, in World War II, Japan bombed China with bubonic plague-infected fleas. As bad as that sounds on its own, it was actually much more horrifying. At the time, the Japanese didn't fully understand the means of transmission for bacterial plagues, so Japanese soldiers would use Chinese prisoners to test the virility of the disease. Essentially, they purposefully infected the prisoners by releasing fleas infected with various pathogens and vivisected the prisoners in order to see the progression of the sickness. Then they packaged up to 30,000 fleas per clay bomb, clay because it explodes easily without producing much heat, which would reduce the amount of surviving fleas, along with some oxygen so they would survive the flight and drop them on nearby towns and 
Some of these bombs are still undetonated in Chinese countrysides. The rats first became infected, and it quickly transmitted to humans. Because the Japanese had to carefully study the disease, the fatality rate was off the charts. To make it even worse, the Japanese set up help stations in infected towns where instead of providing medical attention, they took the sick and vivisectioned them to further study its effects. They also bombed Chinese crops with bacteria-infected wet paper and cotton that would stick to the plants and infected any who ate the harvested food. Okay, first of all, hate that. Secondly, creative. Very creative. Very evil. Terrible. But Disgusting. five stars for creativity. <laughs> five stars. <laughs> Jeez. But also zero stars for being trash. Yes. The person you marry is the person most likely to murder you. I did know that. Yes. You need to rotate a human head three times to fully decapitate it because of the elasticity of the skin. A 42-year-old woman in Delaware committed suicide, and it was mistaken for a Halloween decoration. Ah! Could have used that in the last podcast. Guys, go check out our podcast from last week. You'll see what I mean. It's very scarring, what what Jesse told me. It kind of builds on that. Check yeah. it out. Uh, approximately five pounds of your body weight is bacteria. I'm going to get some Lysol up in this. <laughs> yep, just a daily dose of you know, Lysol spray in the mouth. <laughs> California has a law against cremating more than one body at a time in a cremation. This law is directly because of the Lamb Funeral Home which was run by a man with the nickname Little Hitler by his staff, who would stuff as many bodies as possible into one crematory and also sold prosthetics and gold teeth off bodies, allegedly tried to poison a competing funeral director who <laughs> suspected him, had Coke cans full of teeth in his house's walls, and I guess there's more, more to it than that. <laughs> what a way to decorate, man. There you go. Yeah. Because their necks are so long, it takes a giraffe 30 minutes to throw up. Oh, no. (laughs) Someday, someone will think about you for the very last time. After that, they will forget about you. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that, too. That doesn't doesn't bother me. Okay, you ready for this one? Your bones are wet. (laughs) (laughs) As dead bodies decay... They burp or release gases. For this reason, caskets and mausoleums should be ventilated so that the gas can escape. <laughs> so if it's not, it's like pressure buildup? It's just going to stink and blow. <clears throat> blow up. Your brain smells sweet. <laughs> I don't know how I feel. Yeah. You know, okay, I might add on to that. Yeah. I read that um, bone saws in human skulls uh, when they're sawing into it, it specifically smells like corn chips. Ew. Yeah. Like Fritos. Gross. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Algeria's national anthem was written in blood on the wall of a prison cell. I'm sure there's a whole backstory to that. There's got... <laughs> yeah. That's metal, though. Yeah. Cats and dogs will eat you when you are dead. They tend to go for the neck, face, and any exposed areas first... And then, if not discovered in time, they may proceed to eat the rest of you, which had been numerous confirmed cases of this occurring. 
So, gross. Ultimate act of love. Yeah. <laughs> According to public source intelligence, Russia has the most nukes of any country on earth at 6,300. I don't like, I don't, know. no. no. I just don't want any part of that, no. Russia's scary. The Black Plague still exists. Yes. It does. Mites live on your face. You know, I heard that growing up. I've just come to terms with it. <laughs> yeah. Statistically, you will walk past 14 murderers in your lifetime without realizing. I bet I can name a few. I'm I'm sitting in a room with one right now. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> the inventor of the Pringles can is now buried in one. A fat, <laughs> a fat man's dream. <laughs> That's my dream. Are you kidding me? It's <laughs> a good dream. Uh, and this is the last one. If you get cremated when you die, your ashes can be put into an hourglass. That way you can still be included in family game night. Yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> if I don't go out with a, with a Viking funeral, that, that's how I want to be preserved. I remember that for when it's your time. Thank you. Yeah. Hopefully you go first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that is, uh, those are some funny slash spooky facts. That I love it. From Ask Reddit. Okay. Uh, so here's my story. So sit tight. This one's it's a thinker. This story was written by quite underscore contrary 77, and it is titled Ma's Diner. Hannah, a recent graduate from nursing school in Temple, Texas, was driving home from college to move back in with her parents. Her original plan was to move in with her boyfriend of two years and work at the large local hospital there but she had caught him sleeping with another girl. So her plans changed. She wanted a fresh start and she knew the hospital in her hometown would give her a job. Her parents were great and immediately offered to let her move back home until she could get back on her feet. Hannah knew the way home by heart, but she was still using her GPS on her phone for traffic, uh, which seemed like a good idea. There was a traffic closure alert for the highway and GPS was telling her to take an alternative route. She had never taken this highway before. Hannah loved exploring new places, so she thought it would be a fun little adventure. Anything to avoid traffic. After a few minutes, Hannah realized that no one else had turned off when she did. She seemed to be completely alone on the road surrounded by forest. That's weird, she thought. Maybe they just didn't see the closure on their GPS. Hannah drove about 30 more miles and came into a small town called Mitten. I've never heard of this town before, Hannah said aloud to herself, but she just shrugged it off, knowing that Texas is a big state and there are lots of small towns she's probably never heard of. Hannah saw a gas station and pulled in. She had noticed she was running a little low and decided this was a good place to fill up her tank. She noticed the gas station and everything else in town looked like it was taken right out of a photograph in the 1960s. Everything was clean, but just old-fashioned. Even the people milling around seemed to have an old-fashioned sense about them. Their hairstyles and clothes looked nothing like today's standards. She hardly took notice of the fact that there were no other cars around. As Hannah opened her door to get out and pump her gas, a tall, lanky young man about her age approached her vehicle and stopped her. Afternoon, ma'am. I can fill her up for you, he said kindly. Oh, that's not necessary. I can do it myself. Hannah tried to get out of her car again, but the man blocked her way. 
He didn't seem threatening, but she knew he wasn't going to let her pump her own gas. Here in Minton, we pump the gas for the ladies. I'll take care of it for you, he said politely. Say, this is a neat car. I've never seen one like it. Where'd you get such a fancy car? Hannah sat back in her car, defeated. She handed him her card. Uh, My parents gave it to me. It was their old car. They got it at some dealership. You've never seen a Chevy Malibu? No, ma'am. Can't say I have. I don't get out much, and we don't get many visitors around here. I'm sorry, we only take cash. We don't have those fancy machines. Oh, no problem. Here you go, Hannah said, handing the man enough cash to fill up her tank. She made sure also to leave a little tip for him. She was a little bothered that he had never seen a car like hers. It was a pretty common car. Okay, you're all set, the man said once the gas was pumped. Great, thanks. Hey, is there anywhere to eat around here? I'm getting kind of hungry, Hannah said through her open window. Yes, ma'am. Ma's Diner. It's about a block down. Can't miss it. It's the best food in the whole state, the man said, rubbing his stomach for emphasis. Hannah grinned. She loved roadside diners. She and her dad would always try to find the best ones on road trips. Thanks, I'll try it out, Hannah said excitedly. Tell him Hank sent you, the tall, lengthy man said, grinning. Hannah waved and drove the block to the diner. It looked like a typical 50s diner. Large windows with booths, a long counter with padded stools bolted to the floor, a jukebox in the corner. The kitchen could be seen from the dining area. There were a couple of milkshake machines behind the counter as well. A couple of young waitresses were dressed in poodle skirts and white button-up collared shirts with their hair and ponytails. Hannah thought they really nailed the 50s diner theme, but something just felt a little too authentic. One of the waitresses greeted Hannah at the door. Hannah requested a booth, where waitress's name was Susie, according to her name tag. When Hannah told her that Hank sent her, Susie blushed. Hannah got the distinct impression that Hank and Susie were a couple, or would be soon if Susie had anything to do with it. Hannah ordered a bacon cheeseburger with onion rings. She was still upset about her ex and didn't care about the extra calories. She noticed another customer, dressed like he was from the 50s or 60s, like everyone else except for the waitress, getting a milkshake and decided she had to try one as well. Hannah knew her dad had a soft spot for milkshakes and he would want to know if it was any good. So she asked Susie for a chocolate milkshake to go. Hannah paid her bill again with cash and got back in her car. She got back on the road after checking the GPS, confirming the directions, sipping the delicious milkshake. 20 minutes later, Hannah saw the welcome sign for Mitten again. Then she saw the gas station. Hannah slammed on her brakes. Everything around her was different. Instead of a clean, beautiful town, everything looked like it hadn't been touched in 50 years. No one was around. Hannah sat in the middle of the road for a full five minutes trying to comprehend what was going on. She picked up her phone to check the GPS again, but it said, no signal. Hannah tried to call her mom, but it wouldn't work. She even tried to call 911, but it wouldn't work. She threw her phone on the passenger seat in frustration. Hannah drove to the diner and parked in the same spot she had been parked earlier. The windows that had been clear and pristine just an hour ago were now so black and grimy that Hannah couldn't see through them. Weeds were growing through the pavement in cracks. There were a few small businesses lining the streets that were now shuttered. Hannah decided this couldn't be real. 
She pulled back on the road and drove back onto the highway. 20 minutes later, she was back in front of Ma's diner. She tried to leave again, only to find herself back in front of the diner 20 minutes later. She drove out again, this time going slower, looking for a turnoff and holding her phone, hoping to catch a signal. But there were no other roads and no phone signal. Just the forest, where Hannah found herself back in front of the diner. She let out a scream. She got out of her car, slamming the door. Hello? Is anyone out there? Hannah yelled, hopefully. There was no answer. All she could hear was the usual cacophony of insects and birds that was normal for this part of Texas. Hannah started to walk around the small town. She discovered there were several abandoned houses. She couldn't bring herself to go inside any of them. The town was small enough that a person could walk through it in 10 minutes. The town was surrounded by a thick, dark forest. It was starting to get dark, so Hannah went back to her car. She didn't know what else to do. So she read a little from the current novel she was reading and finally fell fitfully asleep long after the sun set in the driver's seat of her car. Hannah awoke late the next morning, her car covered in shade from the diner frost. After walking around for a few minutes, she opened her trunk. Her dad had always made her carry an emergency kit in the trunk. Some water bottles and snack food. She always thought he was a bit ridiculous, but now she was very grateful. She pulled out some water and a couple of granola bars. She sat on the curb in front of the diner and slowly ate, trying to figure out what to do next. She thought about hiking out, but she knew she was miles from anywhere and didn't have proper hiking equipment or a real compass. Anna explored the town a little more for a while. In the afternoon, she retrieved a blanket out of her car and spread it out on the grass in front of a house. She was lying down staring at the clouds, her book forgotten next to her, when she heard a new sound. It was another car. She jumped up and ran to the road and flagged the car down. To her surprise, the car was already slowing down. It then pulled into the diner next to her. A young man, about her same age, slowly got out of the car, looking very confused. He kept looking at the diner, then he looked around and saw Hannah. Hey, what? Wasn't there... He started. A diner? Hannah finished. Yeah, so you saw it too? Um, I thought I did, just like 20 minutes ago, I ate there. They had great burgers, but how is that possible? And how did I get back here? He asked. I don't know. I've been asking myself that since yesterday. Same thing happened to me. I'm Hannah, by the way, she said, reaching her hand out for a handshake. My name is Jack. Hey, wait, I know you. I've seen your pictures all over the news for months, Jack exclaimed, returning Hannah's handshake. What do you mean for months? I've only been gone a day, and I haven't been on the news. Jack nodded, more assured. Yeah, they said you're missing. Your parents put out a huge reward for you. They said... You just seemed to disappear off the face of the earth. His voice trailed off as he looked up at the diner again. I left Temple yesterday and stopped here for gas and food. I spent one night here. No, the news said you've been gone for around two months now. You went missing in May, I think, Jack said assuredly. It is May, Hannah said. Hannah, it's August 7th, Jack said. No, it can't be. I've only been here a day. Hannah's voice trailed off, her eyes filled with tears. My parents, they must be so worried. What's happening? I don't know. Let's try to get out of here again. 
Let's go in my car, Jack said, gently guiding Hannah to his passenger side door. Hannah numbly got into the car. Jack tried driving out of the way they came into town, but 20 minutes later, they were back in front of Ma's diner. They tried a couple more times to no avail. They eventually gave up trying to drive out and decided to explore the town. With Jack by her side, Hannah felt brave enough to explore some houses. They were completely empty aside from dusty furniture and a few knickknacks. A huge surprise was that everything worked. The electricity, the appliances, and the water. But there were no phones in any of the houses. Another surprise was when Hannah found an old wedding picture in one of the houses. She was confident the couple was Hank and Susie, but the picture was old and faded. When sunset came, they found a house with a set of twin beds side by side and talked until they fell asleep. About midday the next day, Hannah and Jack were sitting in front of the diner when, to their surprise, another car pulled up. It was a young married couple in their mid-twenties named David and Shauna. They described a similar experience as Hannah and Jack. Their GPS had directed them to this small town due to traffic. They had stopped to eat at the diner and had tried to drive on just 20 minutes earlier, only to return to the diner. Hannah and Jack told them it was pointless to try to leave, but David insisted on trying a few times. They were running low on food and were starting to get worried about what to do. Hannah only had so many granola bars. The others had a few snacks in their cars, but it wouldn't last much longer. They all went to bed that night slightly hungry. They awoke the next morning to a surprise. There was a large black box sitting on the curb in front of Ma's diner. Jack ripped it open and found food and other necessities they were lacking. And a note, Jack read it aloud. More will come as needed. You will be provided with all you need. Your job is to start a town of your own and live your lives peacefully. Forget the past. Embrace the future. Every newcomer is chosen for a reason. I will see you soon. Regards, A.H.P. A.H.P.? Who the heck is A.H.P.? Jack asked angrily. No idea, David grumbled, taking the note from Jack and reading it over to himself. What does he mean, every newcomer is chosen for a reason? Shauna asked. Well, he said to start a town of our own. I'm a nurse, I just graduated. What are y'all good at? Hannah asked, looking at the small group around her. Jack smiled. I cook. I grew up in my parents' diner. And I'm a police officer, David said. And Shauna was a waitress, but she quit because she's pregnant. At this, Shauna beamed and rubbed her stomach. Hannah and Jack congratulated the couple. So, Jack, I guess you can cook in the diner, and I can take care of any minor injuries. And David, you can help people when they come into town. You can help them get settled. Does that sound good to everyone? Hannah surmised. Everyone agreed. I will try to get bedding washed in the houses, Shauna volunteered. Sounds great, Hannah said. I'll help with that. Jack and David moved the large box into the diner, and Jack and Hannah began cleaning the kitchen. David and Shauna went to find a house they liked and started cleaning it together. Midday, another vehicle showed up. David took the new resident under his wing and explained everything to him. Jack prepared a great dinner for everyone to enjoy. Hannah helped to serve it. There was no denying there was a spark forming between Hannah and Jack. With every new resident, they learned that another two to three months had passed. Strangely, the weather in Mitten did not seem to change. It was still perfect spring weather. After a while, there were about 60 residents and even some pets. 
The houses were nearly full. The boxes were still coming. Despite many efforts, they could not ever catch who was leaving the boxes. They seemed to appear out of thin air, much to the surprise and dismay of the residents. One day, the new citizens of Mitten were milling around Ma's diner, waiting for another new person to arrive. To their astonishment, a short, pudgy man wearing wire-rimmed glasses and a bowler hat and walking with a cane came walking into the town from the forest. Well, good afternoon, sir. Did you get lost? Did your car break down? David asked. David held out his hand for a handshake. The man looked up kindly at David. I see you followed my orders. Thank you for listening so well, the man said happily. I am Ambrose Horatio Pendleton. Hannah froze. A-H-P, she muttered. Ambrose's gaze flitted to her. Yes, I am the one that sent you that note in the first box. I'm glad you were paying attention. Ambrose smiled and put his finger to his nose. Hannah suddenly felt anger rise up in her. You didn't give us much choice. You took us away from our families, our lives, our homes. We want to go home. Let us out of here. Why are you doing this? How are you doing this? Just let us go home, Hannah yelled, becoming more frantic with each sentence. Ambrose just stood there calmly, a small smile lifting the corners of his mouth. Oh, my dear, that's just not possible. You're in my world now. Ambrose turned away from Hannah and faced the entire group. In one of my infinite time loops, you will never leave. You will soon forget your old life. You will continue to age. You will have children. You will die. But you can never, ever leave. Your children will never leave. The mitten you saw before is still alive today. It is just closed to you and the rest of the world. I gave you a small glimpse, and one day your town will be shown to some new visitors. Take care of them, just like you were taken care of. Ambrose turned back to Hannah. Don't worry, my pet. All your worries will be forgotten, Ambrose muttered, walking up to Hannah and brushing her cheek with the back of his finger. Hannah jerked away angrily and went to stand by Shauna. Shauna put her arm around her shoulders. They both began to cry. Ambrose turned and walked back into the forest, ignoring any more questions or complaints yelled at him by the group. A year later, Ambrose's word had come true. No new cars had shown up since his arrival. Everyone had forgotten their old lives, and everyone had found what seemed to be their soulmate, unless they had arrived with someone already. Anna and Jake had been married by the preacher Kyle and were expecting a baby in a few months. David and Shauna became parents to a beautiful baby boy, Isaac, delivered by Dr. Peters and assisted by Hannah. Dylan and Caleb, a recently married couple who had been on their honeymoon, loved coming in and decorating everyone's homes. Everything anyone needed would arrive by a large black box, or the carpenter Bryson would build it for them. More babies were born, a school was eventually started, all of the cars were parked in the garages and never used. The town was small enough that everyone could just walk to where they needed to go. Life was great in the little town of Mitten. One day, a strange futuristic-looking car showed up. Ooh, that's cool. <laughs> Total Twilight Zone moment. That's so cool. Yeah, that's actually what I was thinking. It was, yeah, thinking very Twilighty. Yeah. It was really good. Oh my gosh. I really liked that. That was so good. Yes. 
Yes. Sorry, that was a little bit longer story than usual, but I just thought it was too good to pass up. Okay, well, let's jump into uh, what you have for us today. All right. Well, thanks for that story. Mm -hmm. That was really cool. I'm probably going to have to watch some Twilight Zone now. (laughs) (laughs) For sure, for sure. (laughs) All right, so my story is a local story. I'm going to tell you the story about one of Utah's grandest hotels. I'm sure you know about it. Originally known as the Reed Hotel or the Ben Lomond Hotel. Oh, yes. (laughs) It's now called the Bigelow Hotel, and it still overlooks Ogden's most notorious street, 25th Street. It stands like a beacon of Ogden. Its intricate Italian Renaissance revival architecture, warning visitors of a vicious prohibition history, and murders hidden in the shadows cast by neon lights of Electric Alley. Sorry, for those who can't see me, I'm grinning because <laughs> Ogden's 25th Street is, at one point, it was murder capital of the world, and so it's got some crazy stories. Crazy. Al Capone still, like, he said it was too much for him. That's, Al Capone! <laughs> yeah, that's how you know it's bad. Yeah. So, but, sorry, um, we can cut this out if needed, but the reason why it was so crazy is because the railroad, that's where it meant, really, for, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 25th Street is by far my favorite street. It's got, I mean, I like history, but like creepy history, this is the place for that. Yeah. There's so much. So every weekend over the summer, 25th Street is closed off for a farmer's market, and people from all over the valley come to enjoy frozen apple cider, fresh baked bread, ceramic goods, and hand-forged jewelry. Walking up and down the street... Booth to booth, coffee in hand, frozen cider in hand, totally oblivious that the ground we're walking on, if it could speak, it would tell stories of horrific murders, suicides, and graphic assaults that happened in that very spot. With the boom of the railroad in the late 1800s, Ogden had to do something about the masses coming and going from Union Station, which is located just at the bottom of 25th. E.A. Reed Esquire opened the Reed Hotel for just $75,000 in 1891. The original building had 130 rooms and boasted a five-story tall layout, something which was super uncommon for Ogden at the time. In 1926, the hotel was completely demolished, and 11 more stories were added to the hotel plans in an effort to modernize Ogden just a bit more and it opened again in 1927 as the Bigelow Hotel. The modernization of this Ogden giant made it one of Utah's three grand hotels at the time, attracting people from all over to see its elegance and mountain views. There were different themed rooms inside, like uh, an Arabian coffee shop, a Florentine palace ballroom. Some meeting rooms were decorated like an old Spanish villa or an English palace. The most popular room was Shakespeare-themed and was hand-painted with murals all over the wall. The hotel was purchased in 1933 and renamed as the Ben Lomond, which is a nearby mountain peak, and it stood as such until 2017 when it was again renamed the Reed Hotel. Shortly after, in 2019, this historic, beautiful building representing a fabulous era of gangsters, prohibition, and luxurious crime was then turned into an apartment complex. So pretty big letdown. <laughs> yeah. So now that you know a little bit about the hotel history, 
Let's get into some of the gore. Heck some yeah. of the good stuff. The goodies. So if you've ever been to 25th Street in Ogden, Utah, it absolutely feels like stepping back 100 years in time. There's original brick and stone masonry on most of the shops. There's still accessible parts of the underground tunnel that connected brothels to speakeasies to opium dens to gambling rooms and boxing rings. Let's just say it was your typical Peaky Blinders dream. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good way to describe it. Yeah. (laughs) Got some Killian Murphy going on (laughs) in Ogden. With the train hub at one end and the hotel looming over the other, it was a centralized hub for all sorts of business, good and bad. Growing up, I heard tons of stories of the Bigelow, all of which being haunted, but the most famous one is of a distraught bride who killed herself in her sweets bathtub on the 13th floor. Uh, Her son found her soaking wet in blood and bathtub water, still wearing her wedding dress. They say you can see her wandering the 13th floor, or if you stand outside the hotel and look up, she might appear in one of the windows looking out to the mountains longingly. It's definitely a cool building to look at. It has these old lion statues at the door and lots of green marble all over the place. It had a restaurant on the top floor that overlooked Ogden and was quite gorgeous at night. Now let's dive into some of the things that actually took place here. There was no bride, at least not that I could find, and others like my friend at the Dead History couldn't find anything about the bride either. Oh, interesting. So we're not really sure how it started or how that whole myth started, but there's a lot more that happened in real life that's far worse, in my opinion. I've heard of the bride, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. That's just a story, so. So here's the truth. (laughs) Our first death happened early in the hotel's infancy when it was the Reed Hotel. W.B. Steele was found deceased in his bed due to tuberculosis. So that was the first death. But and not, not a murder, though, or anything? Not a murder, just natural yeah. causes. And then in September of 1902, a husband and wife were renting rooms 205 and 206. Not really sure why they had the two. Maybe it was, like, conjoined mm-hmm. so they could have a bigger room. Yeah. When Mr. Van Allen left for work and then later returned back to the hotel that day, he found his wife dead on their bed, gunshot wound to the head, bloody pillow, revolver in hand. No way. A suicide. Yikes. And one of the reports that I read said he had to climb through a neighboring suite window to get into their room because the room was locked and they couldn't get in. Weird. The next death was of a chef who worked at the hotel. He was actually pretty new there. Didn't know a ton of the ins and outs. I couldn't find for how long he worked there, but he was new is what I found. Um... One day, he was waiting for the elevator. The doors opened, and I don't know if he was pushed or if he was just in autopilot mode, but there was no elevator waiting for him beyond the doors, and he fell to his death in the elevator shaft. He just, like, wasn't really thinking, so when it opened, he just walked. He just stepped in. (laughs) Maybe he was reading something and just heard the ding of the bell and just walked in, but he fell to his death. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Bad first week on the job. (laughs) Yeah, pretty unfortunate. (laughs) (laughs) Then the next death happened. Do you know what floor he was on? Three. Oh, okay. That's still pretty high. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Well, I mean, if there's a basement, I'm not sure. Okay, so four floors. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And then the next death 
happened in 1929 during the Utah Canners Association's annual event, which is so Utah. <laughs> love the Utah Canners Association of Utah Canners. Their annual events, man. <laughs> They're lit. <laughs> so in 1929, they were holding it at the hotel. And according to the Dead History, Dan Rowland, Edward Spellman, and a bunch of their friends were at this event. But before going down to the next meeting or whatever they had going on, they were like, let's go back up to our hotel room. Let's get a little buzz going on. Let's drink. And then we'll be ready for whatever meeting they had coming up. So as they were upstairs partying, the wife of one of their friends got wasted. And she didn't feel good enough to go down and hang out at this canning event, whatever it was. (laughs) So she decided to stay behind and lay down for a while until the effects of the alcohol wore off. The friends all left, went downstairs, and at some point during the day, Mr. Spellman returned to the room on his own and assaulted her while she was passed out. Whoa, yikes. Dan caught him. He walked in on Spellman in the middle of the act, and he punched him square in the jaw, which was a very lucky punch because on his way down, Spellman hit his head and died instantly. Which, honestly, fair enough. He deserved it. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. And then in 1939, a super odd death took place at the hotel. Two men, Glenn Jackson and Elmo Chapman, arrived together and got in a fight with the bellhop outside of the hotel. Couldn't find anything about what the fight was, but all the reports I read said that both men were acting really weird. They arrived together... And then they walked inside together and asked the elevator operator to take them to the top floor. Both Glenn and Elmo had recently lost their jobs, so they were down on their luck. This is the 30s. Could have been pretty bad time. The operator took them up, but then caught a weird vibe from the men, and she felt like something was off, so she returned back down to the lobby. And she was hoping she could get the attention of the hotel clerk to come help her. You know, these two men were visibly upset she didn't know what to do when the elevator doors opened in the lobby there was no one there it was completely empty so it was just her and these two guys and in a split second the two men hopped back in the elevator and shut the doors before she could do anything and rode it to the 13th floor both men jumped out of the southernmost window together and splat on the sidewalk below what the heck Mm -hmm. (laughs) we're not sure why we don't know if it's because they lost their jobs. We don't know if they were in a relationship. But both jumped out together. Okay. Maybe yeah. they were high. <laughs> <laughs> From those opium dens? <laughs> yeah. Maybe. <laughs> In 1951, a teacher named Donna Anderson leaped from the ninth floor window, committing suicide. In 1976, around 2 a.m. on an October night, A 15-year-old boy entered the hotel lobby. The teen approached the hotel clerk, who, it was actually his day off, but he was filling in for one of his coworkers who had an, an emergency. The teenager approached the clerk and stabbed him to death 44 times until he bled out. The teen stole a sum of about $30 from the register and ran away. So the co-workers of this clerk came into the lobby and found him completely bled out on the lobby floor. Now, there could have been more deaths between 1976 and 2022, 
But if there are any, it's either not in the newspapers or it's just natural causes or just nothing like extraordinary enough to make the headlines. Mm -hmm. But to this day, you can still drive past the old hotel. It looks abandoned. It totally looks out of sorts, even though it's a new apartment complex. There's always people hanging out like around the bottom level, but I don't know. All the glass looks broken. It doesn't look like it's an operating apartment. So something about it just feels off to me. Mm -hmm. So the next time you park on 25th Street and have to walk past the hotel to get to your favorite Harp and Hound pub just next door, remember whose deathbed you're walking on top of on that very sidewalk. The gray great outro <laughs> thank you uh let's see last time we went to ogden for dinner with fam um yeah we parked right next to it uh, you parked on 25th not on 25th but like a, a a block from the hospital i think or excuse me from the hotel and then we had to walk oh past yeah the, mm-hmm. the hotel and i just remember like looking up at it and being like this place freaky it's daunting, huh? It is. Yeah, it's definitely definitely weird. Uh, especially now that it's a apartment building. Yeah. A hotel. Also, I remember a long time ago, this was like 10 years ago, I tried to book a room just to see what would happen because of um, a rumor I heard where they don't, uh, while it was a hotel, at least, they weren't... Um, renting out rooms on the 13th floor because of all the stuff that happened there. I heard that too. And so I tried to get a room on the 13th floor and sure enough, it just said that the whole level was booked. That's all it said. But if you drive by, that's not true. Yeah. So now I'm sure it's, since it's an apartment building, now they just were like, oh, let's just open it. But growing up, I remember driving by it and it would be completely dark on that whole level. There wouldn't be a single light on on that entire le- entire level. So it wasn't booked up. They just don't rent it. Yeah, exactly. So I think they just put it on the website as booked up. Yeah. Just to say that, oh, it's always booked. No. Well, I mean, maybe it was. Maybe they ha- always had ghosts, investigators going <laughs> in and renting the whole floor out. Great story. Good history because I did not know about all those many deaths. Just the one bride. Just death. the bride. Yeah. Which, I have no idea how that happened. I couldn't find anything about a bride. Um, yeah, I heard about it from people, friends. Just yeah. people trying to scare me in middle school. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> Great story. Anything else? That's it. I just hope that if you're in the area, you guys have an opportunity to walk past the Ben Lomond slash Bigelow slash Weed Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because it's just... It's so cool. The architecture is beautiful. It makes for some really great pictures. Um, I think they filmed a Hallmark movie inside of the lobby not too long ago. Wouldn't surprise me. Because I recognized it. I was like, oh, that's a Bigelow Hotel. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, check it out. Go eat at Harp and Hound. It's right next door. It's delicious. Do you have any pictures of the hotel? I do. Cool. Well, we will just post those on our Instagram. Sure. And uh, guys, once again, check it out there. Spooky Soup Podcast. And of course, another reminder... If you have any stories, please send them in. SpookySoupPodcast801 at gmail.com. And uh, guys, we'll scare you in the next one. Stay spooky. Bye.